here's the point, is that with all the Bible sections that we've looked at today, what the natural thing to do is, is the opposite of what God tells us to do. The hard thing to do is what God says. We're just not capable of that. And only when he gets to us with the news about Jesus can we do the right thing for the right reason. Now, slavery in Bible times was a lot different than the slavery we had here in America. The slavery they had in Bible times was not lifelong. Um, the slavery they had in Bible times would be maybe five years, seven years, and then every slave owner knew that they would release their slaves. So that's, that's a completely different thing than what we had in our country, which was lifelong slavery. Also, in our country, we had one particular color of people as slaves. But in Bible times, the slavery was people from every different color and every different ethnicity. Whoever the Romans conquered, they could capture those people, bring them back to Rome, and then sell them as slaves. And then the owners had them for five to seven years, and they would let that go. It was, it was different in Bible times. It, the slavery we had here was kind of hopeless and you know, your life was over. In Bible times, slaves would get allowances from their master, and you know what they would sometimes spend their money on? They would buy themselves slaves. So you'd have slaves of slaves of slaves even. So it's not as bad. It's still demeaning, and you're still considered somebody else's property. There's nothing good you can say about that. And the Bible isn't condoning slavery, even the kind they had back then is saying, this is the template, we want you to run with it. A lot of people made that argument when they were trying to oppose release of slaves here in America. So the Bible is just saying, here was the situation at this time, and how are Christians supposed to deal with it? The problem is, you know, what comes natural to us again. What comes natural in this situation is that this slave, I think his name was Onesimus, remember? He had pilfered from his owner, and his owner had the right to execute him if he caught him. That's what comes natural to us. Revenge, getting somebody back, giving as good as I get from somebody else is the most natural thing in the world. And with everything that we do that's wrong, Satan kind of keeps his promise. He says, if you do this, it's going to make you feel good. If you hit somebody when they hit you back or insult somebody when they insult you, it is satisfying. But it's only for a little while. And then you end up feeling as stupid and empty as you did before, which is never a good thing. This is the problem with us, is we can't get it right. We always think that the, the opposite of what God says is the good and healthy thing and it's going to make me happy. And that's, that's the big problem, right? Is we cannot 
reach the standard that God expects from people, and that would be the reason for the the doom that automatically, is, but the Bible says is the consequence of doing the wrong thing, just in our heads. We can do it with the way we talk. We can do it with our behavior, and so that's the reason the most important and critical message of God in the Bible is this God's great exchange thing. If you know how to make a stick cross and a stick person and you can put horns on top of the stick person, then you have nailed what the Bible says we each are. The, the stick person on this drawing is, is me. I am messed up. And the only reason that pastors sometimes seem to be better people than other people is because you don't know them well enough. Once you get to know them, you'll find out, yeah, this person's as big of a basket case and a mess as anybody else. And the reason that Jesus has got a cross on top of him, I mean, a, a halo on top of him is because he never did anything wrong. Just like Adam, when God made him, he was without any flaws and, and perfect. Jesus didn't come with the baggage that we came from, coming from sinful parents. And so that's where he got the halo. And he maintained that ideal status his whole life long, even at the end, under the worst possible conditions that would have driven you and me crazy and made us be, you know, freaky mad and vindictive against the people who were doing what they were doing to, to people on crosses. The amazing news is that what God did is take responsibility for all the sins we have done and say to God, nail me. This is what Jesus said, nail me, God. Beat me to death for all eternity and let them get what? Give them my, my halo. And so the identity that God wants us to see is I guess what we could call a spandex full body Jesus costume. That is literally what we look like to God. If we're young, we got the spandex Jesus costume when we were babies, when we got baptized. That's, we, nobody could see it. Nobody can see that we're wearing it now. But God can see it, and he knows that we have the same exact identity as his perfect son, who was the human representative for every one of us in our place 2,000 years ago. You've got to remember, the God of the Bible is not just everywhere at the same time. He's also every when. That means that he exists at the same time at the beginning of creation as he does now and he is at, he's existing at the end of the world in the same way. I, I can't wrap my head around this. It's very difficult to understand but it's one of the characteristics and the qualities of God. And this is, and this is how come God could have Jesus take all of the sins of people who weren't even born yet and 
you know, we didn't know what we were going to do or what sins we're going to do in the future, but God knows all those, and he nailed Jesus for all of them because that was his plan. And that changes everything. Look at the wonders of modern technology. I want to do that again because that was a lot of fun. Now the person's really sad because they know the truth about themselves. God, when God shows us in the Bible the way we really are, that's just a hopeless, terrible feeling. And this is where a lot of people get down on the Bible. That's because they don't know the main message of the Bible, and that is that God made the great exchange. This is what this slave Onesimus learned. This is what his owner learned. The missionary Paul learned this from Jesus, you know, when he was traveling to be a bounty hunter for Christians in Syria. Then he learned this too. The Holy Spirit made him understand he's wearing the spandex Jesus costume and Jesus took all the blame for everybody's sins. All the blame for everybody's sins. I don't know how God did it. When I was a kid one time, I went to my grandmother's house and uh, she made us condensed milk. Did you ever drink that stuff? It is horrible. It's, it's powdered milk, and they put it in the glass and poured the water in there and stirred it up and said, here's your milk, and we drank it, and we almost wanted to hurl. It was horrible. When, when Jesus is on the cross and we say he suffered the full punishment for our sins, that means, and I can't explain this either, God condensed all of eternity's punishment in hell to those six hours when Jesus was on the cross. And even though Jesus' body did not leave the cross at all, he was feeling inside of him exactly what a person in hell feels, not just for one second, not just to kind of get a taste of it himself, but he got the full eternal punishment. He even told us, remember when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For, when God forsakes you, that means he takes away all your all blessings and, 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 and what's left is his punishment. And that's what Jesus suffered on the cross. When we say that, you know, that we're saved by the blood of Jesus, the TV evangelists always go. They got their floppy Bibles, you know, and they hold them in there and they go, the blood of Jesus. What they mean, what the Bible means when it talks that way is the damnation death of Jesus. He died not from being strangled on a cross, but he died from being damned to death. And that's how you and me got out of all our trouble with God. Nobody ever explained that to me. I went on to um, the pastor training college and the seminary because all my friends went. I didn't want to be a pastor. I thought if I stood long enough, like when my mom gave me a haircut, I would faint and fall backwards, so I was scared to death. But when our teachers explained from the Bible this main truth of God's Word, this great exchange thing, and what it costs God to take our place, that is the most, I mean, that's the bomb, right? So, this, is, so then this helps change the way we react to bad stuff in our lives. Take a look 
at, at these Bible sections where God was writing to people who were slaves, Christian slaves, maybe working for non-Christian masters, and tells them what to think. Every Christian should stay living the life God gave them when he brought them into his family. This is the guideline I use with every group of Christians. In other words, he's not saying, if you become a Christian, you should say, hey, I got the spandex Jesus costume on, you got to let me go. No, he says, you stay a slave. And it goes on. Were you a slave when God made you a believer? Don't let that bother you. But if you have a chance at freedom, go ahead and take it. Duh, right? You're not looking to punish yourself. When the Lord chooses slaves, they become his free people. When he chooses free people, they become Messiah's slaves. And that's what, that's what Paul, in this letter to Philemon, was explained to him. We're both part of the same family. Onesimus, you Philemon, me, we're all total losers. We're all wearing the spandex Jesus costume. We can make this work. I, as a prisoner in Rome, Anesimus, who I'm sending back to, can be your slave again, but there's going to be a different attitude going on. God paid a high price for you. We talked about that. We know what that is. God's rule is that you stay what you were when God chose you. Tell slaves, this is from the book of Titus, tell slaves... To, to please their owners by doing whatever they tell you. In, in many groups of Christians in the ancient world, after Jesus went back to heaven, there would be slaves who would go to church with their masters, not because their master told them they had to come or because I need my shoes shined or someone needs to open the door for me, but because they were both Christians. And when they, they got in the door there, they were... They understood, hey, we're all equal. In fact, it's the weirdest thing. There were some slaves in Christian groups, I guess you'd call them churches. The slave would be the Jason. He would be the president of the congregation. And his owner would be one of the church members. That's weird, isn't it? But Christians... And then, and then when the slave went home with his master, he's going to revert to what the Bible told him to do. I'm going to be this person's employee and I'm going to be the best possible slave I can be because look what Jesus did for me. He, he made himself a slave to all my sins and he made himself my representative and, and, and forced himself to comply to all God's rules so I could have a spandex Jesus costume. Slaves must not talk back to their owners or steal from them. They must always be honest and reliable. Then they'll make our God and Rescuer's teachings look good. So see, we can handle some of the worst situations in life that are out there. How, how does this Philemon section apply to us? When I was in um, college and the pastor training college, we, had the, we got jobs because we didn't have the money to go and I worked in this factory in the molding room, you know, where, where you poured a bunch of plastic pellets into a machine and then they got superheated and became liquid and then they pressed into the form of those little wheels that they made back before we had digital stuff, the little wheels in our odometers. I made the wheels for those odometers and I had to do it eight hours at a crack 
This was the most awful, boring job. I mean, I'm looking up at the clock every minute wondering when is this nightmare going to end. I tried all kinds of things. I tried taking a book. I tried, I mean, I tried everything. But all you can feel in those kind of situations in, in, in life is a lot of despair. I'm in this dead-end job and I'm never, this is my life. How am I going to ever get out of this? But Christians can have what we call a Christian work ethic, which means I don't think about how bad this job stinks for me. I think about the way God's using me to provide a service to help out other people. Otherwise, they won't know when to change their oil because their little wheels won't turn. And I know three or 4,000 miles before I got to change. I mean, providing that service. You know, if, if, if I'm a Christian that has rotten neighbors, I, I don't have to move. The Bible says I can move if I want. But if I got rotten neighbors, I can still learn to live with those people. I can look for ways to show them God's kind of love. I can go out of my way for people who are total jerks to me and don't care about me and only have it in for me. I can be a good neighbor to a jerk who lives near me or a relative. Some of us have relatives in-laws that are outlaws. I don't know, probably you guys don't have that problem in North Carolina. But where I come from, some people got, you know, difficult families to live with. And we can deal with that the same way that this slave, slave Onesimus dealt with his owner. We can handle it because we know who our real boss is and we know the debt of love we owe to him. And so even though we don't want to do it sometimes, we can't help but do kind, Christian, unselfish, unconditional things that actually have an impact with the people around us. A rotten neighbor, an ugly relative, a jerk job, a horrible boss. Right? I don't suppose in the military there's any commanding officers that are total dim bulbs, right? I don't suppose there are any of those. But I can even deal with that. If I'm in that position of taking orders, I can do those things in a Christian way with the right attitude, what we have called a Christian work ethic that doesn't think about whether I'm going to get a promotion or a raise out of this, not, doesn't do anything for selfish considerations, but does it out of gratitude to Jesus for the gift of himself in my place. So that's the reason why I care, because every one of us is a mess and we would suffer God's doom forever if Jesus didn't substitute for us, right? So Jesus rescued me. That's the main reason. And why should I care? Because all of us got what you would call unfair situations in life. We just got it, right? It's not fair. And you can come up with, I mean, I'm sure you're thinking right now about some unfair situation in life. If you're a young person, you're going to school now, maybe you got a teacher that just doesn't get it or is just, you know, unqualified or whatever. It's unfair or maybe, you know, whatever. You can think a lot of unfairness. We all got to deal with that, but we can handle it 
because of, I mean, what Jesus went through was not fair, right? Taking the full punishment for all of our sins forever and ever. Somehow God condensed forever in hell down to those six hours. And I don't get it, but Jesus suffered unfairness. And I can trust that whatever situation I'm in in life is because God decided to put me there. And this is the one that loves me. So I can trust him and deal with whatever situation I got to deal with and do it as a Christian. So this is kind of important. Here's what one famous Christian said from what he learned from the Bible. Every Christian is totally free. A slave to no other person. That's true, right? If you're wearing the spandex Jesus costume, you have the same identity as God the Son. This is, this is true. But at the same time, every Christian is a total slave. A slave to everybody else. Same guy said, Jesus, you are my goodness. Right? That's the halo that we get to wear. I am your sin. That's the horns, right? You became what you were not, and you made me what I was not. And that's why we get together like this. Because we all deal with the same kind of ugly facts of life that are consequences of life in this world. It's full of sin. It comes from sinful people like us. And this good news is what enables us to have a sense of confidence and to go on with the real purpose in our life as, as long as God tells us he wants us to stay here. So we remember, Jesus is the great, greatest slave of all. He's the personal slave to you, right? He slaved his whole life off thinking about how he was earning you the spandex Jesus costume. And when he's suffering damnation on the cross, then he's thinking, I mean, he knows about all your sins, all my sins, still loves me and still went through it and didn't throw in the towel and go, that's ridiculous, and this is what gives us, you know, this is what jacks us up on Labor Day, right? Well, you remember the greatest laborer of all, the greatest slave of all is Jesus, and we want to be that kind of slave to other people too.